I have some great news for you. The Semi Supervillains have a new album, Frantic, LP, coming June 2023. The album is getting pressed by The Vinyl Lab Nashville. The Vinyl Lab will be hosting the Semi Supervillains Frantic Record Release Show on Saturday, 5623 at their in-house bar and venue. TVL will be pressing an additional 50 copies of Frantic at the release show for a hot-off-the-press series of records available exclusively to those in attendance. The unique experience allows concertgoers to watch a live concert while viewing the vinyl production process in person simultaneously. Hot-off-the-press Frantic LPs will be available at the show as well as semi-supervillains.com. So remember it. Uh, 5 6 23, they got a new single coming, St. Patty's Day, 317 this Friday, and then another one April 14th. Here is I Wouldn't Die for Your Love. <laughs> Ring, ring, ring. Thank you for calling the Poptimist Internet Services. This is Taylor. How can I assist you today? Um, hey, Taylor. I was just uh, I was wondering if you could uh, help me out. I'm needing some uh, 
some comic relief for my life. <laughs> uh, everything's depressing and everything sucks. Everyone's talking about how uh, the world's going to end and... I pretty much just hate everything. What uh, is is there like something that you can like provide to me that will help me? Well, you're calling in for internet, so I don't know if it's necessarily a good idea to be depressed and look at the internet. But here's what I'll say: I'm gonna help you out the best I can. Can I get your name? Yeah, it's Danny. Danny. Okay, Danny. What's your last name? Uh, Shaw Rometta. It's uh, hyphenated. Hyphenated. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And uh, what's a good callback number for you? Um. I don't want to give you that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I'll need that in order to be able to kind of enter everything into the system to get you set up with services. I'm going to be shooting you a text here in just a few minutes to get everything confirmed. That's why I was asking for your number. All right. Well, um, it's the number of the Davidson County Police Department. Okay. For the cool. sake of this call. For the sake of this call. Okay. Yes. Great. Awesome. Um, and can I get the service address from you? Um, that is also the address of the Davidson County Police okay. Department for the sake of this call. For the sake of this call. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see here. Uh, I got a few questions for you just to make sure I'm helping you out the best I can. Is it cool if I ask them? Of course. Go for it. Who else is going to be enjoying the services with you? Um, it's pretty much just going to be me and my cats. Okay. How many cats do you have? I've got two. I love cats. What are their names? Uh, Jazz and Marie. They're uh, they're sisters, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Jazz, she sounds like a real killer. She is. She's got an appetite for blood. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's you and the cats. What do you like doing with the services? Um. Well, I watch uh, some Netflix. I'm. I've been real into Vikings lately. Uh. So I definitely need to stream that. And uh, the cats, I pretty much just uh, put on like, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say it, but uh, I put on uh, cat videos for them to watch uh, during the day uh, while I'm gone. Okay. And that's cool. also streaming. So, yeah. Okay, great. So you're, you're doing a lot of streaming. You said while you're gone, are you out at work? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. While what do you do for work? Out at work. Um, I'd rather not say. Okay, I was just trying to make small talk. I understand. Sounds like you don't trust me. I'm a little bit hurt, but well, you know, in the business that I'm in, it's it's better not to get too close with the internet guy. Are you in the CIA? Uh, I'd rather not say. I had an uncle in the CIA. Okay, he nice. he would only come around every now and then, and never had a wife, girlfriend, nothing. Was he your real uncle? That's a great question. I'm not even sure. <laughs> okay, so you're going to be doing some streaming. Um, that sounds like uh, something that's important to you. What, what else are you doing? Are you doing any working from home, any gaming, anything like that? Yeah, I work from home, so I'm, uh, I'm using the, you know, the interwebs quite a bit to search things. And uh, I also run a, um, a work phone um, I need to run a work phone from my modem. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why I laugh, but I can definitely help you out with that as well. Okay. Um, so you're going to be working from home and it sounds like you're going to be like internet speed is, is pretty crucial to you. Yeah. You, you could say that I will only take the best. 
Okay. Um, what kind of devices are you going to have on your network? Um, it's going to be mostly computers and smart TVs, and then um, the cats have their own tablets. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. That don't they, don't they, judge me. I I hear some judgment in your voice. No, I'm, I'm a I'm, cat, I'm a proud cat dad. Okay. Hey. Look, I love cats too. I enti- I entirely understand. Actually, you know what? This is something I feel like maybe I can talk to you about yeah. since you like cats. Yeah, dog people suck. Right? Yeah, dog people dog suck. Dogs. <laughs> well, it's it's not the dogs themselves that are the problem. It is the dog owners that are problem. It's the true. problem. I can like an individual dog. Most dogs that I meet, I do like. I have a problem with their codependency a little bit, um, but dog owners, for the most part, are very codependent. They are... They're, they're, they're filling the void of love from humans and being needed by... or wanted by someone else, needed in some circumstances, with an animal. Right. Yeah, no, they're, they're two very different animals. I do actually love dogs. I just, uh, I prefer my cats because um, I like to uh, think that they don't need me. In fact, I know that they don't need me. And something about that comforts me. I can relate to that for sure. I'm, uh, I'm emotionally dead inside myself. Yeah, so uh, what kind of internet do you got for me, Taylor? Um, give me just a minute here. I'm uh, clicking through my system. Um, so have you always lived in Nashville? Nope. Where are you from originally? Uh, the West Coast. The West Coast. I've yeah. never been out to the West Coast. Actually, that's a lie. I was out in the West Coast for three months when I was a kid. Uh, my dad was stationed up in Whidbey Island in Washington. Okay. What'd you think? Um... It was interesting because we were living on an island that was heavily military, so it was a different kind of vibe. So you weren't really in the West Coast then? I mean, (laughs) well, technically no, but um, I mean, I was on the coast and I was out West. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it sounds to me like uh, internet speed is very important uh, for you. You're going to be working from home. You and the cats have your tablets. No, the cats have a tablet. Yeah. I don't have a tablet. Okay, the cats have a tablet. Yeah, Excuse yeah, me, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I wasn't being a good listener. Yeah, no problem. Um, the cats have their tablet. Uh, you're also um, going to need a phone that plugs into the back of a modem router. It sounds like you're running maybe a business out of your house. Yeah, yeah, a business. Um, I'm trying to make sure that I just understand everything properly. Yeah. Uh you said for your address, you gave me the Davidson County Police Station. Yeah. Um, is, is that your actual address? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure yep. I understood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's what I'm going to offer to you. Okay. I'm going to offer you the blast speed internet. Um, it is our finest top tier package. Perfect working from home streaming, etc. All the things you had mentioned. Uh-huh. Um, I'll also recommend uh, pairing this with a home phone um, so I can get you a home phone number. Um, and I don't you, need that. Well, you said you need the, uh, the 
The phone, right? But I already have the phone. You already... Yeah, yeah. I, I understand you already have the phone. Yeah. I said a home phone number. Yeah, it comes with a number. It's through my my cell phone provider. Okay. Well, I can port that number over to us. Why would I want that? You said you needed something that you're going to be able to plug a, a phone into the back of, right? Yeah. Doesn't it? Does my internet not come with a a modem? <laughs> yeah. Why are you laughing at me, sir? It does come with a modem. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Are there it does. ports at the back of it? There, are, there are ports at the back of it. Nice. Um, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I, I live for those ports, sir. <laughs> okay, so you you already have your your phone your phone set up through yeah. through someone else. Yep. Okay. Boost I mean. Mobile. <laughs> what don't laugh at me i love boost i just uh yeah i endorse boost mobile on this podcast they're uh they're a uh a company of t-mobile right they're like a a, a child brand of t-mobile i th- i are th- side note yeah i don't is it even a thing anymore i thought they didn't they merge and there is no more boost anymore uh, there's still boost oh okay yeah boost still does exist um are they are they like t-mobile's prepaid version that's what i yeah that's what okay. i was gonna say i yeah. think they're the prepaid version of t-mobile if i'm not mistaken okay yeah um no judgment on prepaid no judgment yeah uh, honestly there there is a couple of good um prepaid services out there yeah but for the purposes of this call, uh, the Poptimist Internet Services Inc. is the best that there is. Yeah, that's it remains to be seen. One other thing I wanted to mention, we got that the blast speed internet with the two in one modem router. Um, you got those cats. I know as a pet owner myself, um, you wanna have cameras to keep keep an eye on the place. So what I'm recommending for you is also uh, Poptimist Home, 24-7 monitoring. You'll always be able to keep an eye on the front door and the back door as well. So you're going to see if someone's coming up. If you're not home, they're not going to be there messing with the cats, anything like that. So we got that. Other thing you mentioned, you're doing a lot of streaming. I know for me, bundling all of the streaming service is really starting to add up. I can also get you um, the... Uh, TV, the the base level TV package that we have, that way you can watch as many TV shows, football games, whatever it is that you want. The other thing I'd recommend is switching your phone line over from uh, whoever your current service provider Boost. is. Boost Mobile. For yes, Boost Mobile. Yep. Which, by the way, I don't know if you know this uh, uh, about T-Mobile, but um, they're speeds their data speeds slow down at certain points of the the day whenever things are at their busiest in the evening Hmm. okay so i didn't i didn't know if you knew that i just wanted to mention i didn't know that no (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting though all of that together i can do you for 175 dollars 175 yeah monthly for what what is it all i'm getting i'm getting you're getting the internet? blast internet i like that the blast That's yeah cool that sounds nice uh-huh as well as the uh the home security package two cameras front door back door 24 7 monitoring and also um one line of unlimited for your cell phone 
one line of unlimited. Hmm. You said one seventy five a month. One seventy five. Yeah. Here's what else I can do. You sound on the fence. Mm-hmm. I can throw in a two hundred dollar gift card after ninety days of you having our service. A two hundred dollar gift card. Two hundred dollar to where? Anywhere. It's a Visa gift card. How how can you do that? I was able to uh, to message my manager here on the side, and I asked him if there was anything else that we had new customer promotion wise. He mentioned this to me. How thoughtful of you. Um, Okay. Well, uh, I think that it sounds all right, but I think it would sound a lot better at $125 a month. What can you live without? Um, hmm. What can I live without? Well, probably the phone line. Okay. And well... Tell me about this uh, TV package. What what am I really getting there? <laughs> hey, with this TV package, you are getting all your local channels, as well as Animal Planet. Do I get Skinamax? <laughs> that is an add-on. I can certainly no, add that on. No, 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 no. 99 cents for three months. First three months. Hard pass. And scene. That was good enough. <laughs> <laughs> not uh, bad <laughs> and today we have uh danny shaw rometta from eat sleep rock hey hey we just did a little um phone call role play uh a mock phone call yeah if you will. Sa- for sales um you know danny me and danny here we we talk a lot about business and sales that's not the first time we've done one of those no uh, and it, w- it won't be the last. No. It's honestly just will. fun to do. I think so, too. Yeah. I hope I wasn't too... too you gave me a little bit more than medium pushback, but that was okay. That was okay. I, I expected it. <laughs> I should have not... I was a little more heavy-handed than I thought I would be. Sorry. I should have said um, light pushback, and you would have gave me the medium pushback. To be honest, I just did not want to give my address or phone number on your podcast. No offense to any of the listeners. Yeah. No, you could have you could have made something up. I guess you did with the, the police station. Um but yeah, so I think as far as talking to people on the phone when it comes to sales, that's kind of base level, you know? Yeah. Um that's how whether you are doing inbound sales, outbound sales, or you're trying to schedule appointments, it all starts with over the phone. And basically, I had the intro, a discovery. My discovery was kind of weak, like by normal standards. For today, it was just a good example. Yeah, we didn't want to take up too much time. Yeah, and then I gave a little bit of a, of a pitch, but I didn't want to get too wildly specific with it. Yeah. But just to kind of see the the phases of a call yeah an inbound call totally and one thing i will say and this is a something that i don't think is one of my strengths but i think is yours is you have a very good way of like finding something like finding something that's not related to the sale to talk about that's like a side conversation and there's not to sound manipulative, but there's value in that because you're earning the customer's trust um, 
the, by talking to them about something that has nothing to do with the actual purpose of the phone call. It makes it real and personable. Yeah, well, I think naturally I've always um, kind of done done that. You know, I, I never... When I first started in sales, I didn't even know it was a real thing that you could actually do where you can make more money than an hour like your average hourly job yeah just because you sold something it sounded like a scam to me it honestly is sometimes it is yeah (laughs) sometimes it is it depends it depends on the company and what you're selling and like one thing we've talked about you you hear me making on the phone all fucking day long yeah when i'm working my job so you've kind of heard a little bit of that um which is you know unethical i'll be honest the company i work for is unethical yeah um the it's company that will not be named the company that will not be named yet yeah. after after i leave then i'm willing to do a whole expose episode yeah um but yeah it really depends on what you're selling because even when i'm like doing stuff for you for for nashville carpet cleaning whatever um you what you're selling changes depends depends on who you're talking to and whatever the service or product is that you're selling cuz there's basically there's a couple different kinds of sales there's product based sales and there's service based sales yeah and a lot would argue that they're both one and the same but like when i started out in it sales you really don't make that much commission off of selling a server or selling um equipment or whatever it is that they need what you make the money off off of is going back and maintaining everything the service itself yeah the fact that you're an expert you built this system for them because that's what you have to be you have to be uh an expert in whatever it is that you're selling or at least sound like it you fake it because like when i started with you I didn't. I didn't know shit about carpet cleaning. Right. Like I, I knew a little bit just from going on jobs. Like I yeah. knew what it was like to be on site. Yeah, and hearing some of my phone calls. And yeah, like that. And hear and hearing some of your phone calls. Um, I would say what you're honestly you are good at is I, I've never listened to you on the phone and thought salesman. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not really like the hard. I can sell things, but it's not like um, I definitely don't have like a hard sale, hard selling approach to sales. Yeah, I would say I'm a little bit of a softer approach. But I, the 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 thing is though, is I'm not afraid to to go hard sales. I just wait until the very last second. I I try and and be as personable and relatable as possible and again none of this is to sound manipulative um it's just when you are doing sales you know there's there's different strategies that's i guess the there's best, diff- yeah that, that's the best way that i could say it well there's many ways to to skin a cat like going back to what i was talking about a minute ago you have to change your strategy based on whatever it is that you're selling and who your customers are. Totally. Um, but you, obviously, you know carpet cleaning backwards and forwards. You've 
gone to these businesses. You've gone in and out of people's houses. Um, so you're fam- super familiar with it. Yeah. Um, when I when I started with it, I wasn't really familiar with the ins and outs no. of the business. And I would even still say, even now, I'm not really. I know a little bit. Um, you know enough to to be able to um, you know impress the clients that you're going after. But we've discussed this. I don't think you're ready to go after every type of client that I seek out. No. Um, the ones that you seek out, yeah. I think you're ready for it. Yeah. You've proven that you have been ready for them. But that's because I have a background in business-to-business sales. Because right. the, the other thing we should we should talk about when whenever I was first starting to do sales for you, it was... Um, I was just going like hard in the paint businesses, right? Like I was doing cold calls. That's what I knew, you know, which there's value there. There is value in there. But once you explain to me a little bit about business, the the actual business and like how your business runs, that's when we had to adjust the strategy, Yeah, which ended up working out too when we adjusted the strategy. Yeah. And I think you've, I mean, the last time you sat and made calls, I think in a week you you landed like at least three or four. I think it might've been a little more spread out than that, yeah. but I think the initial calls were in a week's time and then you had to follow up. But, but my point is, is that the, um, the percentage of landed jobs versus calls, um, definitely I noticed were, were going up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's what you want. You yeah. know, it, like it's your, it's your close ratio. Cause it's like, Every sales job you have, um, your performance is measured because it's like, why are you going to fucking stay around if you're not, if you're not closing deals? If you're not a closer, right? then get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's a skill in itself, man. It's, um, you know, it's one thing to be able to talk to people and give a presentation, arguably like those are step one and step two. It's like step one is be able to give some sort of presentation, um, of any sort, you know, musicians have to do it. Business, uh, you know, executives have to do it. Um, you know, all types of people who do business have to give presentations and then beyond the presentation, it's be able to like answer any questions and articulate things in, in a way that, you know, is assertive, but not pushy, if yeah. that makes sense. But sometimes, I mean, that's where it goes into the different strategies because sometimes pushy works. Well, it's like the job that I'm working right now. It is very much like you ring them out for every fucking dollar you can over the phone. Yeah. And that initial conversation. And I mean, that's just the way that the company's designed. It's a sales organization. It is not a customer service organization. Yeah. But like you, for instance, you are a customer service focused business and like and do and doing the service well yeah and um you know it's funny because i think once i started drinking the uh, the kool-aid on sales when i was in my early 20s i drank it too much because i didn't i didn't give a fuck and like where i'm working now it's definitely the kind of job where it's like you don't give a fuck yeah like you're not supposed to right because even my manager I, I have weekly coachings with them that stopped once I started hitting my numbers. Yeah. I don't know if they'll come back. They might, but, um, like once you hit your numbers, 
sales right. managers just fuck off. They let you loose. Yeah. yeah. And I remember you and I talking about that um, when they were kind of giving you critiques and, you know, um, feedback, basically, when you were in training. And I remember saying, you know, us discussing because they wanted you to sell like this and you didn't agree with it. And I remember thinking, like, you know, if it works, I doubt they'll care. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like w- once they started giving me feedback, like my manager, it's he's a very good salesman. Um, and I listened to what he said, and I was like, okay, I'm going to apply that to what I'm doing, but I'm also going to modify it. Yeah. Because um, it's like someone can explain something to you. Every fucking salesperson thinks their way is the way, and they will yeah. sell you on why it's the way true but you for instance there's a method to the madness you know what i mean it's like i said going back you've you've worked these jobs you you didn't necessarily start out as a salesman no well and also the the biggest thing to consider and i know you and i have have talked about this is that for me it's more than just one sale on the line like it's the Every customer is a relationship that needs to be nurtured. I'm the business owner, yeah. you know? So it's, if I were just a salesman of a, a company, yeah. I, I might have a little bit of a different attitude. And I'm not saying that For salespeople sure. can't have pride in their company or care about their customers. I'm just saying as a as the owner, yeah. my thought process is, is a little different. Um, and I have to relay that to you know, you sometimes and to other employees that work for me is, you know, sometimes when they want to say, you know, fuck it, I'm like, I'll go back personally and make sure that this is done right. Yeah. Um, Just because, you know, every business is relationships. And and that's, I think, not to go too, too far off topic, but um, I, it's funny because I remember hearing this when I was like a teenager and I remember thinking that it sound cor- sounded corny and sappy, but I, it really is true is like every business, when you take away all the products and the services and the booklets and all that shit, it's just people, you know, people helping other people and teaching each other and training each other and working together and building relationships. It sounds corny, um, but it's it's the truth. You know, you take all the, the shit away and it it really translates. Um, you know, of course, there's different strategies like we talked about. Um, but, you know, really, the sales process is fairly similar in every situation. Yes, absolutely. Well, you have most to, situations. Most situations, you have to adjust whether it's face-to-face or over the phone. Totally. Uh, and you have to be selective because that's actually something, I a skill that I've had to develop, um, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but there are some customers that call me, and I can already tell by asking a, like a couple of questions initially the kind of customer that they're going to be and what they're going to want. If they're going to be wanting to stand over your shoulder and all that stuff. And I can figure it out. And let me put it this way. There are some customers where I will just take them through the process of giving them an estimate or a quote over the phone. And some of those people will be like, oh, well, can't you just come out? And I will be rock solid and be like no i'm gonna give you an estimate on the phone but then there's other customers especially like when they're like more elderly or 
um, you can just tell that they're going to be more meticulous um, or like you said, standing over your shoulder. Yeah. Sometimes those are the customers where I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to have a, a guy in your neighborhood. You know, I'll pull up their address or something and I'll say, I'll have someone in your neighborhood. We can just come out and give you an estimate in person because there are just some people you know and you can tell on the phone that if I tell them $300 on the phone, even if I tell them that it's just an estimate, if my employee gets there and it's now $100 more and it's $400, then they're going to throw a tantrum or they're going to make a big stink about it. And there's ways to avoid this and, and you call it discovery. And that's really what it is, is I have a series of questions that I have to ask to figure out, um, you know, what the situation is and how we should charge. But here's the fucked up part. People will lie to you. Yeah. And, and it sucks. Absolutely. It sucks to say because I, you know, the first half of this was me saying like, Oh, I love my customers and, and you know, it's a relationship, but dude, customers will fucking try and manipulate you too. Yeah, it's a two way street. You know, we're trying to sell them on shit, but they're trying to fucking sell us on the, the lowest price. Exactly. Possible. And, and a lot of people are, I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into this because I think that, the generation of good salesmen is dwindling. Yeah. Um, I think that people our parents' age are more hard bargainers. I feel like, especially Americans. I yeah, feel like absolutely. people our age and younger, they'll, if a, if a mechanic or someone tells them this is the price, they're not going to say anything. Yeah. They're not going to, I have someone, uh, I'm not going to mention who, but someone recently that, I heard was um, in a situation to where they were um, they were bargaining or they they were supposed to pay for something and basically the timing of the item didn't come in uh, in the time that it was supposed to come in and so the bill came and it was automatically like the company just charged less than it was supposed to be and the friend that I'm talking about said well why why did they just charge less? And I remember saying, well, it's probably because it took so fucking long. And I remember said friend was like, well, that's negotiable. That price is negotiable. And I remember being like, it's always. Yeah. Every single time you can always negotiate. Yeah. I think there's very few things that you, you can't negotiate. If you're dealing with a big fucking corporation, um, more than likely it's going to be non-negotiable it's going to be a fuck you and fuck you for asking you say that but do you not tell i could be wrong on this do you not have a couple back pocket moves that if like someone is actually getting a big package say i'm the customer and i'm like yeah i want the high speed internet i want three phone lines and i want you know um all this stuff but I don't want, you know, it's like $35 a month too much. Is there no back pocket thing that you can do like a 10% or a... No, not really. Really? No. Uh, there's different promotions that we have that yeah. I might be able to use. One of the sales strategies with this, like my current job that you're talking about, um, is pitching... EDP, which is everyday pricing versus the promo pricing, right? Um, which is which is 
one of the things that I, I feel is unethical about it. Yeah, it's a scam. Yeah. 100%. Because, um, you know, you anybody can go and look up the prices online. Everything is 100% out there. Every promotion that we have, yeah. when they're like, oh, I want this internet for $55 a month. Yeah, it's um, out there. It's out there. Um, but uh, th- there's many different, like even working at such a cutthroat, like boiler room style sales job. Like there's like talking to some of my coworkers, they they all have their different methods too. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, that's before taxes and fees, because the everyday price of the mid tier internet package is ninety two dollars, but it's advertised online as fifty five dollars, which is the price that a customer can get it for. But and this is the shit that they don't train us to do or tell us to do, but all the tools are there. And it's open open to interpretation. There's a lot of gray area. Sure. And if it comes back on you at a big corporate sales job, you can just get fired. And they can be like, we had no idea this was the case. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's different things you can do. So it's like the discovery is the most important part of the sales process. Yeah. Because without that, you, you have to know what it is. You have to know as many of the unknowns that you can, and there's still going to be some unknowns. Yeah. For this particular job, it's it's the short sell. It's right now. It's I am fucking slitting your throat in an alleyway, and you're jerking me off while I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. That that's the job, you know. For and, sure. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with jobs like that existing. I'm all for capitalism, but. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more numb to it now than I was before I started this. Um, but it's definitely taught me about working for a company that generally is not very, that doesn't have a great reputation. Yeah. Has a horrible reputation. Totally. Yeah. No, I, uh, it's tough, man, because I, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying running my business, but here's what I will say. So like in my business, I do think that there are times when like a price jackup is justified. Absolutely. You know, um, and it, sometimes it's hard to explain that to a customer because we also have our prices online. Yeah. Um, but there are genuinely times when we don't know what we're walking into or, I mean, not to nerd out on carpets, but like a fabric is not the fabric that we thought it was going to be. Or there, there are circumstances not to get too much, uh, into the details of things. I would probably argue that there's less of that in, product sales it's more of a common thing in service service sales because services differ you know i mean i'm a carpet cleaner but think about plumbers you know sometimes plumbers they show up and they think they're gonna unclog a toilet and they find out that there's a clog in the whole main sewage line and they have to do some serious work and they don't know until they get there yeah you know and that happens um it doesn't happen a lot uh i've I've learned, and to your point about discovery, I've learned how to alter my discovery portion of my sales call when I get inbound carpet cleaning calls 
to to figure out, you know, w- if there's an extenuating circumstance um, that might cause like an upcharge. And then I usually throw in a couple like disclaimers, like you know, this is not the actual price. We'll give this you is, yeah. an exact price. This is an arrive. estimate. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I I think in your situation, it is used as more of a like tactic of deception not by necessarily the individual but kind of having that gray area that yeah. you're talking about by the company 100%. As a whole. but I, I guess the only point i wanted to make is that i don't think that like necessarily because i let me put it this way the i the point that i'm trying to make is that i have been accused before of like charging too much yeah. and not like having prices that make sense and i've had to alter my ways because like i said sometimes you do just have to charge more but sometimes figuring out how to do it in a fair way that doesn't come off as deceptive is difficult because you know there's two sides to every story yeah and so what the customer sees and it's funny because and that's why i like doing these mock phone calls with you is because you know i am always on your end of the conversation where i'm trying to sell someone and it's kind of fun playing the other role and giving you pushback yeah but the truth is is like those some of the things that i was saying to you were real emotions yeah you know what i mean like if if you're gonna press me about information that i don't want to give to you i mean to be honest with you i'm gonna tell you to fuck off yeah but it's also your job to get the information to to steer that yeah well it's figuring out to like i i can even take it back to to doing uber and lyft for as long as i did it because i can tell now from someone's tone of voice you can't really see body language over the phone but you can feel body language over the phone oh absolutely. you know what i mean 100 percent um and i think that that just comes with with time and experience of doing calls because i've i couldn't even tell you the number of calls that i made at this job alone let alone all the other sales jobs i've had um and it's it's always different too because inbound versus outbound that's a whole thing um, but yeah, no, I, I 100%, uh, agree with you on that. It's, it's something that comes with time that you kind of have to have finesse for, especially with the, the pricing piece, because someone might not bat an eye at a grand and then to another person, it's like, are you on fucking crack? Yeah. Well, and, and I've been dealing with that specific that problem specifically because our customers i mean i'll just i i can't remember if we had discussed it on the podcast but i i did buy a second carpet cleaning company as you know and the carpet cleaning company that i purchased as opposed to the one that i've owned for the last several years the market of people are completely different and so the way that we have to deal with pricing and let's just put it this way the standard of pricing is completely different yeah and it has to be treated as such not that you know i'm ripping these people off and i'm cutting these other people a deal it's just the truth it's a different a, a different client base it was marketed in a different way absolutely yeah 
And um, there's different a lot expectations of, come along with that too. One hundred percent. And that was the next thing that I was going to say is with that higher price, there's a higher expectation of excellence and service. And to be honest, I um, and I appreciate doing these things be- because, to be honest, the fact that you uh, value my input enough to want to have a sales talk with me is like. Um, it's flattering because, to be honest, I don't really see myself that much as a salesman. My background comes in public relations, as you know, and I think that, to be honest, I think I'm better at like the public relations and the like. I would. It gives me a thrill. Obviously, I don't love it, but when I have a way of like, if a customer is pissed about something call it if they call in i can talk them off the edge yeah and i can get them back into reality and i can turn a bad situation into a good situation yeah um i took crisis pr classes in yeah. college and it's just like something about that always fascinated me and i would say that that's one of my my strong suits but um but as far as sales i think I think I've learned to sell to sell because my phone rings. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense, but I've never really sought out sales. And to be honest, I'm not to veer the conversation too much, but I actually when I was in high school, I joined an MLM. Um I got sucked in. I went to some meeting that one of my friends um wanted me to go to and I started selling energy drinks to my friends. And to be honest, I wasn't that good at it. I was okay at it, yeah. but um, but also this goes back to a conversation that we've had a bunch of times. I didn't really believe in the product. Yeah, I just wanted to hang out with my friends, and I thought that it was cool that they had figured out a way to make money, and I was a fucking broke 17-year-old who had no money. Yeah. So um, it was more just like a social club type of thing, Yeah. but I did learn a lot Which from is that. what MLMs are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I learned... Let me put it this way. I... As much as I like legitimately feel that I got duped, I'm grateful for that experience because there there is some value. It's kind of like what we were talking about with, you know, a sales job is um, I don't really agree with the MLM sales tactics but there are a lot of people who are very successful who do it and who are good Absolutely. at that. And look, I'm not a spokesperson for any MLM. I do not. I, I'm not involved with yeah. any one. I of think them. they're very unethical. So I agree with you yeah. um, for the most part. The one that I was uh, ended up getting shut down because it was being investigated by the U.S. government. So I'll say their name. It was Avima. Okay. Um, so because they're not a company anymore, I, I don't have any problem mentioning it, but, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you, but I think that there are smart, intelligent people who, let me, before I go too far down that hole, I just, what I'm trying to say is I think that there are a lot of ways to make money and if it doesn't hurt someone, if, and if it's not with the intention of hurting someone, I don't think that um, I think that that it should be accepted as a legitimate way of making money, and I, I feel the same way about sex work. I feel the same way about um, like 
hell mercenaries yeah <laughs> to be honest well it's it's the free market at work absolutely supply and demand yeah exactly if 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 you don't have something and you want something and someone else has it you can either take the money out of your pocket and give it to them or if you want to go fucking medieval you can just kill him that was that's yeah. that's honestly the the fucking u.s government's method for a lot of shit around the world yeah it's well fuck them they don't have as many guns as us that's leverage yeah and that's honestly dude that's the most important part of sales is who has the most leverage it's the one thing when you're trying to sell that should always be on your mind is who has leverage and how does it shift in the conversation that's probably the one of the most valuable lessons that I've learned running a, a service business is because to be honest, man, there are times when people try and negotiate with me now. And if they like have already disclosed to me that they're in a pinch and that it's last minute, I'm not going to fucking give them 10% off if I have to rush same day and yeah. move my schedule. It's like they've, they've, already, they've, they've given up their leverage yeah. by disclosing that information. Now, you could argue that it's unethical because part of my discovery process is getting that type of information out of people. Well, but it's also a form of protecting my assets too. Here's what I'll say to my that. Payroll. I don't think exactly. I don't think it's unethical in that regard because if there is an emergency, you already have clients booked and you're potentially having to to shift stuff around yeah, or pay someone like overtime or something to, to like go that. to the other side Which of town. Happens, yeah. yeah. There's there's any number of factors. I think most people don't bat an eye with it. You would be surprised. There, well, I was going to say, there are some people who do. <laughs> yeah. And it's I deal with it too. Like just putting it in the frame of reference of what I do every day. It's like people call in. They want the most that they can get for the cheapest that they can get it. Yep. Which I understand. Totally. Absolutely, because I am a consumer as well. Yep. But I guess you like two things. One, always make a salesperson earn their fucking money. Um, yeah. Always. Yeah, make them work for it. Make Why them not? work for it. They're they're working based on their commission, um, so that they, they should always be trying to go for it. Two, sales is just basically human psychology when you get down to it. Oh, like yeah. brass tacks. That's what it is. It's an interaction between two people, and, and it depends on what you're selling. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but there, there are jobs out there, and I, I feel like we've been we've been broad, pretty broad today, or at least I have. We've yeah. given some specific examples with with carpet cleaning, but like sales can be applied to the music stuff as well. Into to business stuff as well, and that's another area that you have familiarity in. Because when you're booking shows with Eat Sleep Rock, what how, how would you consider that sales when you're trying to book, like soup to nuts, beginning of the process to the end of the process? So, do you want the the actual process of of doing it like selling the bands on it or or do you want to know why it's like a process at all in the form of like selling my bit like selling both the okay so 
I will start with the broad aspect of why Eat Sleep Rock Nashville books shows. So, to be honest with you, it is pretty rare that I actually take home money from the shows that we book from ticket sales. Yeah. Usually, um, the shows that we put on are like, I wouldn't say purely promotional, but for the most part, they are relationship building events that help you know keep the brand relevant and active in doing things it keeps the venue relate the relationships with the venue owners um you know good and fresh and it completely continues to expand my network of uh, bands and musicians so really it's a more of a networking and pr exercise doing these shows however we do um there is a money-making process, so when we absolutely crush it, then yes, sometimes um, I'll take some money uh, from ticket sales. But most of the time, I just set up a merch booth and we sell merchandise. And there's there's been times when I've made several hundred dollars at a show um, just in merchandise, and then we also get online orders as well. So really, it's um, you know booking the shows. It's see what what's weird and this is it's kind of cool that we're talking about this because I'm sure this applies to a lot of people in the music industry who have like day jobs or sales jobs but it's been a challenge for me that I'm just kind of starting to figure out how to use my knowledge of running like my service business and translating that to you know a music bit like making money in the music business because well, it's not exactly the same. No. Well, you have a lifestyle brand. Yes, exactly. As that's, opposed to that's, a service business. Exactly. And it, it's more so you're having to sell that lifestyle versus, hey, I need my carpets clean, my, my dog shit everywhere. Exactly. Totally different um, you know, customers and totally different... Context. Uh, yeah, context and, and totally different process on how to get people intrigued on what our products and what our what the business is about so so that's that's kind of why you know we book shows in the process of like how it works within eat sleep rock and why it's a thing at all because i actually to be honest shout out to my dad he asks me all the time he's like why do you even book local shows he knows i don't make any money he asks me and I, I tell him, and it's the truth, and it's exactly what I just told you. It's that, um, it for one, it, it keeps our name popping up. If you see our name on flyers and events, you're going to keep thinking about our yeah. brand. So that's one, it's literal advertisement for ourselves. Two, it's maintaining the relationship with venues, which can be very valuable for booking shows, but also for other reasons. People who own venues oftentimes own other things and they can some they can sell merch inside of their venue which we have there's there's a lot of um relationship uh opportunities you know when it comes to that and then of course just always you know an expanding network of musicians and and artists so i i think i've beat that horse dead but um as far as the literal process of like booking pretty much um I've gotten to the point where I am constantly being solicited by artists. Um, 
as far as like they want to play here and they want to date here and this and that. So usually if I want to put a show together, I if I find someone who is hitting me up about a show that seems really serious and like it could be a, a good opportunity, then usually I will talk to that person talk to them about dates and then once i usually have like one solid artist then i'll build a bill around it and i've kind of learned this the hard way because i used to pretty much just build bills by myself that's how it was when i did house shows i was just like quote unquote wanted to be the mastermind because i was like well that's what promoters do they book the the shows but to be honest some of my most successful shows have been collaborative efforts with either like someone from a band is like oh yeah my other friends in bands should play this with us because they have as I've gotten older you know when I was in college I I mean I like to think that I know a lot of people now but when you're in college you know you probably you know could hit up a hundred people at once and yeah. they might show up. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's how it just was for me in college. But um, but now, you know, now that I'm in my later 20s, I have found that it's a lot harder to get, you know, a group of people out at once. And so I there's, let, it's, uh, there's value to basically pooling together bands that are not... Um, bands that, you know, I know people that would usually go to their shows. It's a new market of people is yes. what I'm getting at. I just, I, it's a long way of saying that. Well, you have to understand what it is, like the kind of show you're putting together. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. want to put uh, a metal band with like an acoustic pop opener. No, definitely not. And, uh... Yeah, and, and those are the things that I, I usually think about, and I've had to learn. Now, there are things, so like literally this Thursday, I've got the last-minute band opening, uh, which, by the way, this Thursday, what is that? I should know it. I think that's the, what's today, the 7th? So I think be, that'll be the... 9th? Um, yeah, it's the 9th. Okay, the 9th, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, March 9th at Kimbrough's Pick and Parlor in Franklin, we've got the last-minute band opening, so that's a, a bluegrass duo. And then after that, we've got a... Um, it's another duo. It's uh, I think they're sisters. Uh, that's They're called Jay Madison, and they are like kind of a... Dare I say country? They're kind of like a southern rock singing duo, um, real kind of easy listening stuff, but they're great. They wail. And then at the end, we've got Gentry Blue, which I I think you know them because I believe you yeah, played we, with them with Violet Moons at the Halloween at the show. Halloween show. Yeah, yeah, and that's which the, is really the first night that we kind of met. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, and they're the as you know they're a rock band and they've got a, um, a, violin, a violin player yeah. and she does the electric violin. So it's like. A bill like that, you might be like, this is kind of odd, but um, the girls in Jay Madison know the people in Gentry Blue, and then, of course, you know Tristan. Out at Kimbrough's, that's, so that's what I was going to say, like, I've learned that out at a place like Kimbrough's Pickin' Parlor, even though we're Eat Sleep Rock Nashville, man, I can throw a, a bluegrass duo 
all day long to open those shows out in Kimbrose and it will kill every time yeah. because I've just learned that at that venue that's what the audience wants the audience loves that yeah. they eat it up and so even though we're Eat Sleep Rock Nashville and it might be a little off brand it's like if it puts butts in seats then hey you know and it pays the artist more then that's just as valuable as staying on brand well even now though with music in general i think any music that is played by actual musicians unless you're uh straight up at a jazz club heroined out it's considered <laughs> shout out to rudy's jazz room yeah it's, consi- it's considered rock music for the most part you know what i mean i feel like even like soul music is indie rock now yeah you know what i mean it, it all falls under a generic umbrella because it's People that that are doing it like the classic rockers did back in the sixties. Yeah, <laughs> like if Motown came out today, that would be considered like it. It would still be called indie funk or indie soul, but it's it's another offshoot of of rock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So much is rock now. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but yeah, man. There's there's so much that I've learned booking these shows because. Um, not that I've had very many like complete just bust of shows where they're just not good at all. I've had a couple that I was not disappointed in the artists, but in myself just for not promoting them well or organizing them, uh, how I thought they could have or should have been organized. Um, you know, there's things that I've strung together last minute, uh, that have gone extremely well. And then there's things that I've planned extensively that no one, uh, that hardly anyone has showed up for. So yeah, it's a learning experience. And like any business, you know, there, there's going to be trial and error. Um, but what's important is, you know, evaluating and looking inward and, adjusting accordingly and and that's kind of where i'm at this year with booking shows is um and this i you know i want to say this on record because i do like i said get a lot of people who hit me up and they want shows and it's getting to the point where it's not that i'm trying to um you know create barriers to entry or like be a gatekeeper or anything it's just to be honest with you the the feeling that I get when I put a show together and there's just like no money to pay the musicians, it sucks. It's the worst feeling ever. Yeah. I don't want to deal with that. I always want to. It sucks avoid. being on the other end as well. Totally. And but but I feel that responsibility because literally financially it is my responsibility because I've taken on the burden of the production fees and all that. And so if there's no money to pay the bands, I take that personally. I'm like, I did something wrong. Yeah. Because I've, on the flip side, have, I've had shows where, you know, everyone gets paid a more than fair wage. Yeah. For their, um, their performances. So it's, it's a learning experience. And, and just like with any business, um, you know, I've had any business that I've had to do, um, but any business in general, you have to really um, learn through the experiences and be self, you know, be self-critical. I, I hate to say it that way. And, you know, we're in the age of positivity. But when you are in business and um, not to steer the conversation again, but I feel like a lot of musicians in town need to hear this, too, is like, 
you need to live in a state of reality when you're conducting business. You need to be very real and honest with yourself. You can't have clouded judgment when it comes to your money because you're literally sacrificing your livelihood if you do. So um, the reason I bring that up is just because there have been times when I've you know, thought that something was just a cool idea and then I lose money on it and like there's a lot of perspective in that. Yeah, well, those cool ideas you have to actually execute on. You know what I mean? Like totally. th- there's there's more than just the cool idea itself. Yeah. Cuz I think a lot of musicians they're like I have this really cool idea and people are going to love this. Exactly. Which is great. And maybe their idea is cool or maybe it's not cool. Or maybe it's cool and it's just not something we would think is cool. Yeah. It could be any number of factors, but you kind of have to take that ego away from it. And and no one's going to know your fucking brand better than you will. There's a level of self-awareness you have to have um, yeah. as a musician. And as well as and I think we've talked about this before. We both don't like this word entrepreneur. I do not. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of it either. But um, for lack of a better word, or we'll say business owner. Business owner, sure. It's a little better. But um, yeah, I think with, with a lot of musicians, they're, they look down on the squareness. That's what they see it as. They see it as squareness or not cool to know about the business thing. Yeah, well, and honestly, not. I know we, we were kind of keeping it sales, but if you don't mind, I, I really want to say this for the musicians who listen to this podcast because I can't tell you recently, be, and I think it's due to we the fact that we know a lot of musicians who are playing on Broadway, and um, a lot of our musician friends, they know that I, I run a business, um, you know, the carpet cleaning business, and they also know that I run Eat Sleep Rock Nashville and that I, you know, we do make money on shows. And so I have to, you know, legally handle the the finances, you know. And so I've been getting a lot of questions recently about, you know, what musicians should do and how they should treat their money making activities. And when taxes come, should they be worried about having to owe the government and all this stuff, and, you know, I, um, you know, not to, uh, you know, take you hostage on this conversation here, but I, I think that there's a lot of value in just knowing, like, some basics as far as how to literally treat your music career as a business, because I feel like there's a disconnect for, I would say, 70 to 80 percent of the musicians I meet. Absolutely. I would agree with that for sure. Um, One thing that kind of snapped me into perspective was doing sales and coming from like a business to business background. I moved and I was no expert by the time I moved here. Don't get me wrong. But just understanding how businesses can work and that they like different businesses have different functions. Yeah. Yeah, and understanding that you are a business and what your function is. It is cool and artistic, but no one is going to go after your money 
like you will. Like if there's a venue owner who hasn't paid you, yeah, you whatever have, it is. You have to be willing to fight for your money. You have to be willing to fight for it. And in a way, that is sales as well. That's Absolutely. The, the end of the sales process. Yeah, well, it's the follow-up. It's, yeah. the, it's the literal close. Just yeah. because someone has given you a, a verbal agreement doesn't mean that you've closed. It, yeah, it doesn't mean shit. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it can, like, not to be absolute. It's like dating. I get, I've gotten stood up a bunch of times. A verbal agreement to a date doesn't mean you're no. going on a date, you know? No, no. I, I, you know, and thinking of it in terms of dating, thinking back to, like, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, if a girl was like, yeah, I want to hang out, and she kept canceling on me, and I kept being like, well, you want to hang out this night? You want to hang out this night? She's done. She's done. Yep. And you're done. Yeah. Not worth the pursuit. Yeah. Well, you're not going to make that sale. No. Yeah. Move on to the next. Yeah. Move on to the next one. There are plenty of people out there who are looking for you, uh, whatever it is that you have to uh, sell to them. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So this is what I was going to say. Just a couple were like a couple pieces of advice. And I, I would... If you think this is unwarranted or you have your opinions on them, let me know. But to the musicians in Nashville and to friends, friend musicians who have asked me recently about how to handle the money that you make making uh, playing music out uh, legally and and how to um, you know have organized finances. This is what I say: if you are performing like covers and you're you're in a bar or or original it honestly doesn't matter you are going to get you're going to have to fill out a w9 form for the bars that you are are playing in in return they are going to give you a 1099 meaning that you are a subcontractor that makes money in their establishment right i I know you all you know this i'm saying this more for the listeners um you make this money untaxed the 1099 is a form where the government is literally saying hey we know this is how much you made while working in said bar playing music in said bar this is your income that we are fuck you pay me well yeah basically you have to report this on your taxes because this is the amount that the bar reported that you made it's a it's a he said she said game basically it's the bar told us that this is how much you made now you've got to claim it. So you got to do that. You got to make sure that you are filling out W-9s. As anytime you're making more than $600 at a bar, you got to make sure you're filling out a W-9 and you're getting your 1099s, right? I get a lot of questions about legitimizing your music, business, blah, 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 my band, my artists, whatever. You don't need an LLC, I get this question all the time. People want to know, do I have to start an LLC? Not really. You don't. And I'm not going to go super into like what LLCs are or any of that shit. Is all I'm going to say... It spreads the risk. Yes. But basically what I'm going to say is don't worry about it. Be a sole proprietor. It doesn't matter. You don't have to spend the money and be some entity. Fuck it. You're not an entity. You're a person. Don't fool yourself. So... Basically, but what you do need to do is get a business bank account. If you have a business bank account, more than likely, I can't speak to every single bank, 
But at least the bank that I bank with, which is U.S. Bank, I'm not afraid to share that. I have a great relationship with them. They will set up your credit for your business account separate from your personal credit. So now, if you have a business account, you now have a credit um, a credit score associated with your business, not you personally. It doesn't matter if you're an LLC. It doesn't matter if you're a sole proprietor. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't. If you have a business account and you and it's a legitimate business, that's the other thing I will say. You, you're going to want to go get a, a business license with the state or the county or whatever. Um, and you're going to want to make sure that you register with, I think it's the Department of Workforce, I may be, or the Department of Labor. You, you're going to want to get an EIN number. Uh, basically like a company code. It's it's like your social... It's like a, for, t- a tax identification. Yes, number. exactly. It's yeah. a social security number for your business. This is how you keep everything separate from you. And it doesn't mean that it's not associated with you. It just means that the income that you make from playing music out is going to be in one spot and it's going to be easy to keep track of. After that... Keep track of your fucking expenses. Look up what is considered a legitimate business expense. You would be surprised. Yeah. Car insurance, legitimate business expense. Gas, legitimate business expense. Uh, your cell phone, legitimate business expense. Uh, website domains. Uh, I the list goes on. I think even like renter's insurance can be in that too because it's yeah. where you're, you're, if storing... you're practicing there and yeah, you're storing your equipment. Yeah, I imagine rent as well. Um, but like strings, um, picks. Yeah, all of it. Clothing. Re- if you're a, if you play on on stage and you buy haircuts. Yeah, haircuts, clothing, makeup, you name it. It's all your performer. If it contributes to your performance and it's it is some contribution to you making money then it counts food no longer food no longer counts and alcohol has never counted so health you, insurance too i think counts uh yeah i believe all kinds of anything yeah if, i can't speak to that with a business i'm not 100% you may be right yeah. i'm not 100% sure on that um the point is Keep track of it, whether you have an Excel sheet or you pay for QuickBooks, however you do it. If you take pictures of your receipts, I don't give a fuck. It doesn't matter. The point is, keep track of your expenses. Make folders for it on your fucking desktop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or if you want to be old school, keep a, a, a file. Yeah, box. you like can you keep can, a file. Yeah, you can do that too. But you got to make sure that you're tracking your expenses, you're filling out your W-9s for where you're earning money, and you're collecting your 1099s and then just a very quick tax lesson just for the musicians a write-off doesn't mean that you're literally taking that money out of what you owe the government from taxes a portion of it what it does is so all the income that the the places that you work or perform at um all of those places that report your income that is called all of that added up that you've made up through the year. Say you're a full-time musician, you work in different bars around Nashville. The total money that is the sum of all that money, all your different 1099s from the different bars that you've worked at, that is your gross income, yeah. right? That's income before taxes and before uh, business expenses. The business expenses... So 
just so people understand, you are taxed on your income. So that, I'm not going to go into the details of how tax brackets work, but basically, depending on how much your gross income is, or I'm, I'm going to explain in a second what AGI is, but really, depending on what your AGI is, is what where your tax bracket is. It determines what tax bracket you're in and how what the percentage of your income you pay for taxes. So say, just for an example, for shits and giggles, say you made $100,000 a year, um, and say you're in the tax bracket that says you get taxed 10%, well, then you're going to owe $10,000 in taxes. That's a very simplified version of how it works just for the sake of the example. Um, you're, the Where the expenses come into play is it basically it contributes to your AGI. So AGI stands for adjusted gross income, meaning your income after you deduct your expenses. So yes. say you make... Um, so again, for the sake of the example, say you make $100,000 a year in bars, that's your total amount, all the, all, that's your gross income, and then say you have $30,000 in expenses. Which can be gas, mileage. All the things that we just discussed yeah. a second ago. Yeah. So now your AGI, your adjusted gross income, is $70,000. Therefore, when the IRS determines your tax bracket, your tax bracket is now going to be determined based off of the $70,000 number, not the $100,000 number. So people get this, this because of the word write-off, they think you're literally writing off the monetary value that you're paying, and it's not. That's not how it works. You're writing off your income, so you have a lower income to report, and you're in a lower tax bracket, therefore taxed a lower amount. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and we're talking about very large numbers, probably mo I mean, not very large, but for the average musician that we know, yeah. none of the ones that I know very personally are making a hundred thousand dollars a year um it's less numbers the, the smaller numbers than that the point of what i'm saying is um you don't need to be afraid of owing the government lots of money if you do what i just explained and you start a business account and you track your expenses and you keep things organized absolutely then it's not going to be a problem you don't need to worry about getting an llc you don't need to worry about i mean Look at your local regulations, your your county and your state guidelines. I'll be honest with you, as a musician, I don't even know if you need a business license. So what I said earlier about getting a business license, you may or may not need that. Look it up on Nashville. YouTube. I'm not 100% sure on that. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I, I'm not trying to speak to the legalities of things. I'm just trying to give a, a basic understanding of how uh, or a basic kind of breakdown of how a, um, a general contracting musician, for lack of a better term, can keep track of their money and um, and you know conduct their their artistry and their um, their band as a brand. Yeah, and, and another thing that I would add to that is for that tax, the taxes. If you spend the money on fucking 
the extra money for H&R Block or whatever the first couple of times yeah. if you're not sure on how to do it. And you want to yeah. make someone who's familiar with fucking tax law. Yeah. Because the government will fuck you in the ass always. I don't ever recommend doing your taxes like completely by yourself even though I do a lot of the work and I have a lot of knowledge I still have a CPA. There's a lot of uh, like legalities. Yeah, well I have a I still have a CPA because like actually filling out those tax documents especially when you're a, a general contractor and you're working for yourself the last thing you want to do is fill something out incorrectly and then you get fucked later because you didn't fill it out. Fine. It's, it, yeah, it's worth it. Because, yeah, that's how the government gets you is most of the time, you know, you're you're not going to face like unless you're getting audited, you're not facing like usually extremely serious consequences when it comes to taxes. But what they'll do is exactly what you said is they'll they'll tack on a fee and then every, you know, cup every quarter, it's like an extra five percent like they'll they'll end up raking you over the coals one way or another. Oh, yeah. They'll get their money. Let's just put it that way. It's the government. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, not, not to go too much into a tax lesson, but I really do. It's something I'm passionate about just because, um, I don't think that there's enough, uh, knowledge about like the business side of music, especially here in Nashville, at least at our level. And I, like I said, I get these questions a lot and I, I think it should be con like I could, if I wanted to be, you know, if I wanted to be, you know, monetize it or had time, I could probably, you know, sell tips on how musicians could could make money or and, start a YouTube and channel, yeah, or, yeah, or something like that, which I'm not opposed to doing. But um, I, I do think that it's information that everyone should have. How can people find you, Danny? Eat Sleep Rock Nashville. Um, or shooting the shit at Insta on Instagram. Uh, you can find either of my businesses at uh, on the World Wide Web at esrnashville.com or nashvillecarpetcleaning.com. And I'm also on Facebook. Keep on dreaming. See you next week. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Stay in school. Stay in school. Pissing your pants is cool. Pissing your pants is cool.